0: Hey, what's up, friends? Mike Myers here with the Songwriting for Guitar Podcast, episode number 13, Taylor Muse. Taylor's the lead singer and founder of the band Quiet Company based out of Austin, Texas. We talk about it all in this episode, how he listened to nothing but Christian rock, eventually got on the train to heck, and then started delving into other things, our love for Dave Bazan, his songwriting process, and what demoing looks like for him. So here we go, let's jump into it. Episode number 13. Taylor Muse.
1: I think we're at like 18 drummers. My God. Like we, we have had 18 drummers. <laughs> 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 Apparently, I'm hard to live with. But. but
0: isn't it, it's a funny thing when you lock in, it's always when they leave when you have this thought of like, we're pretty tight right now. This is great. And then it's like, oh, yeah, guys, no. we got to talk. And it's like... Okay, what's up, man? And you know it, it's coming. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And it, it's just that thing that, like, tour is not for everyone. Like, there, I, I can, you know, uh, thankfully say that out of those 18 drummers, there's only like two that I'm not like still good friends with. Uh, so, problem. like, it never, in, it never, in, it rarely ends badly. But, but the drummer is probably one of the more intensive parts of quiet company and like so it's it's hard on people uh to come in and fill the last drummer's shoes usually and then it's just like not everyone wants to tour not everyone wants to you know commit to the the level that it kind of requires and we don't really tour that much anymore, especially now you know we're not touring at all uh so it's super easy on everyone
0: but when you guys started at the very beginning, was Quiet Company like your first, like, this band is starting to do things, or were there bands before that you were like, oh, this could be the thing, but then this band formed, and you were like, I think this could do something.
1: Yeah, I was in a band uh, right before Quiet Company called The Connotations, and we thought that we were going to be some pretty hot shit, because we we were originally from Tyler, Texas, uh, where I had moved after high school to go do a couple years of college, and And I was in a a bunch of different bands and I, you know, we started that band and then we had a band that I used to play drums for had moved to Nashville like a year before and gotten signed and they were about to go on this big tour. And we were like, oh, well, if it's that easy, all we need to do is move to Nashville, you know? (laughs) And so we moved up to Nashville and, you know, nobody cared about us at all. And rightly so in hindsight, but we i remember we were very entitled like i i think that we really did expect the world to just discover us like and how great we were and we didn't do really any actual work uh, other than just like make songs that we thought were cool but then uh the band hated living in nashville you know so we uh we moved to austin and played like six shows and broke up but like uh and from that i decided i was like well i'm not gonna like just i have all these songs i wrote for the connotations I don't really want them to just I'm, I was happy with the songs still so I, I decided to record the first Quiet Company record by myself and uh, with, with help of a friend from uh, this band called the New Frontiers uh, that unfortunately isn't around anymore but but Alex their drummer recorded that, their first that first Quiet Company record and played all the drums for me and stuff and they got picked up by a small label and, and then I started putting the band together and the rest is just kind of like you know Then, but So Quiet Company was the first band that we we were like, oh, we have to tour. Like, oh, we have to get a publicist. Oh, we have to, you know, have a steady supply of merch coming in and out. You know, like, so yeah, Quiet Company was the first band that really did the work to varying degrees of success.
0: Are you the primary, like when you think of songwriting for your band, regardless, like are you the primary songwriter? Like you kind of bring fleshed out songs, rough songs, rough demos. What is the process?
1: I am the only songwriter. Um, Quiet Company started as like my solo thing, you know? So, yeah. so that's always been the dynamic and the, in the arrangement in terms of like songwriting, but the process of how much, how involved the other guys are, has, has changed as we've gone along. Like it used to be that I would record these really fleshed out demos and where I'd played all the parts and like, There were tons of instruments on them, you know, and I was just kind of like, I had this very much like everything in the kitchen sink approach to songwriting, which I really do kind of think stemmed from like some insecurity about my songwriting. Like it wouldn't be interesting if I didn't just keep putting layer after layer of instrumentation on it, you know, like, yeah, which, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that was totally insecurity. Um, And uh, as, as the band has changed and evolved over time, I really trust all the members of the band creatively. Like I think, I think this lineup is like most of us kind of came from very similar scenes and back yeah. backgrounds. So there's a lot more like we're all kind of starting on the same page and, and that hasn't always been the case with the lineup, but it, it most certainly is now. so, but however, just because of the circumstances, I'm just sitting at home recording demos all day. I, Cause I went, through a process where I was just recording just an acoustic guitar and my vocals and like just sending that as a demo. Like, so there Mm -hmm. was like nothing but just the chord structure, the lyrics and the melody, and then letting everyone kind of come in with their own ideas. And I like that idea because it's a lot of fun and you get these, you get more, you get stranger arrangements. I think when you have more people kind of like throwing in ideas for the arrangement. Yeah. But because I'm bored at home and I'm, just recording demo after demo. And <laughs> I'm like, well, why wouldn't I play drums on it? Well, why wouldn't I just, here's a bass track. Like, yeah, I got some. And I am trying to keep them like minimal, like where it's just like <laughs> drums and guitar and bass and the vocal. Like I'm not putting yeah. like a ton of like extra keyboards or a ton of extra vocal melody or harmonies and stuff. Like, So I I'm, am I'm kind of trying to keep it a little bit basic. But they are being full band arrangements, and it's it's more for my listening pleasure than it is for <laughs> anyone else's. But but yeah, so I'm kind of back to doing that now, just because of the circumstances of the pandemic.
0: So, what was your first instrument? Because if you're doing drums, bass, was that was guitar your first primary instrument, or was it drums?
1: Well, I guess it depends on how far back you go. Because <laughs> I I got sixth grade band. I started playing the saxophone. So. Mm. But I would never ever play a saxophone on a recording now. Uh, but yeah, guitar was my first. Was my first instrument that well, you could write. Was there a song an about, album
0: yeah. too that you like thought of like when that you wanted to pick up the guitar? Or Was it just kind of the whim of ah guitar? Try it.
1: Well, I I, <laughs> I don't know what your background is like. I I was raised in a very uh, in kind of somewhat rural Texas to a very conservative Christian family. And so when we started getting into rock and roll, you know, it's like we kind of lived in this Christian bubble and we kind of had, we weren't really allowed to listen to that much secular music. So probably the first bands that made me think that guitar was cool were these kind of, probably they're somewhat obscure to everyone else, like Christian hair metal bands. Striper? Uh, Yeah, I had Striper. (laughs) They weren't a big one for me. Uh, Bride was my number Mm. one. Uh, Okay. And Petra was big. You know, we had stuff like DC Talk, of course, but like White Heart, White Cross, Tamplin, you know, (laughs) all these fans that uh, are probably pretty terrible. But I still kind of love Bride. Uh, I won't lie about that.
0: It's kind of some nostalgic kind of thing when you look back and you're like, yeah, this is kind of cheap, but it's like, uh, ah. What's funny is
1: like Dale Thompson, I think is his name. He's the singer of Bride. Like he's on Facebook. You can follow Mm -hmm. him and he's a fucking lunatic. (laughs) Like he's he's really entertaining. Um, But anyway, uh, I I think when I, so that's what I was kind of like enamored with when i first got a guitar and and but at that point i wasn't as interested in songwriting just yet like i i wanted to learn to shred you know yeah and incidentally i never learned to shred i can't (laughs) i can't shred today you know after 20 some odd years of playing guitar because i think at some point early on i did figure out that songwriting was the truly important aspect of playing that guitar and you know then i got I remember we were coming home from a funeral in uh, Gilmer, uh, which is a East Texas town, and we heard "Undone" the sweater song on the radio by Weezer, mm-hmm. and that was the first time I heard that. And that was one of those kind of pivotal, like, "Oh, wait, there's cool stuff for me to be into," you know. <laughs> like, and so I, I went to Hastings and and bought that cassette tape, you know, and I I just obsessed over that record but I think the record that made me go okay this is I want to play music and I want to make records like this for the rest of my life Mm -hmm. was probably the Smashing Pumpkins Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness
0: now, when you were getting these records, were you like sneaking them in? Like, were you just kind of, like on the side, just being like, you know, do you have like Smashing Pumpkins in like a Hillsong case, where you're just like, it's like it's just yeah. kind of like obscured, so it just like gives the illusion that you you don't see it.
1: No, like my parents were, they had kind of started being a little bit more lax about stuff, like they were like, a, they were still super uh terrified of all of it you know but yeah but they were letting me have it provided there weren't any like glaring red flags you know kurt cobain had killed himself so i was never allowed to listen to nirvana you know so uh you mentioned weird al earlier before we started recording like and i weird al smells like nirvana his spoof of smells like teen spirit like that was kind of my only tie to Nirvana and I just I wore that tape out too because especially that song because I was like I love this I wish I could have the actual record.
0: (laughs) That's off the deep Uh, end the Weird Al cut and that's still a great record. Airline Amy is is. Is still one of my favorite songs
1: Dude I think that uh, people of our generation probably and probably still going new generations everyone has that one Weird Al record that is like their Weird Al record. Mm -hmm. Like for me it well I gotta say that I can actually think of three that were pretty important to me uh Dare to be stupid is pretty mm-hmm. great um yeah, but off the deep end was was the first big one that I really got into, and then alapalooza was was is my favorite wow. one still. I actually put that on not too long ago, and I was just driving down the road just cracking up like still just he gets me, man.
0: It's funny how you can remember words, too, to, like, all the weird owls. Sometimes with my girlfriend, I'll just be like, I'll throw on a weird owl version, and boom. (laughs) It's just like, it's like a prophetic, suddenly, like, spirit comes over me, and then I'm saying all the phrases and all the words, and I'm like, wow, it's still in my brain.
1: Dude, the first time, like, like, you know, he had Bohemian Polka, Mm. which is, you know, his version of Bohemian Rhapsody. (laughs) Yeah. And I remember, and I loved it. I listened to that so much. But like I said, we weren't really... A secular music home. So I remember yeah. the first time I heard Bohemian Rhapsody, I was like, "Why is this so slow? Like, this isn't that song. Like, <laughs> it felt so wrong to me." And I was like, "These guys are fucking it up." That's <laughs> 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 it was like the actual version because Weird Al had ruined it for me.
0: But that's cool. So you're you're almost like your box that you were in. You were told this is how the world is, and this is what you know. How you kind of viewed music. Weezer and then Smashing Pumpkins were kind of like breaking a little bit of that wall. And you were kind of peering over to the other side and being like, oh, yeah, for I, sure. I, I could write that. Yeah, I should write that. I mean, my, my parents were, like I said, they were
1: they're really concerned that I was getting into rock and roll. Um, and like, I have a, a pretty, <laughs> a pretty funny traumatic story about trying to buy R.E.M.'s monster. Uh, with my father uh, but that's that's a whole nother thing i don't know if anybody is that interested in that but like but yeah it was a uh, definitely one of those things where you know i had to be kind of careful about what i brought into the house and and i'm not trying to make fun of them like they they were just concerned you know um yeah. and <laughs> i think it's kind of funny like like i've got an 11 year old daughter and i've often wondered like are we the last generation whose music was going to freak out their parents? Because what's going to freak us out? Like, we had Marilyn Manson records. Like, what is going to freak <laughs> us out? You know?
0: That's true. I mean, that is a good question because, um, I don't know. that.
1: <laughs> and I kind of feel like we've lost a little something without having, like, you know what I mean? Because there's that, like, there's something to that about, like, rock and roll should freak out older people. Like... It- Like it's like the greatest art in the world. I forget who says it, but like the highest purpose of art is to comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable, you know, and like, and I'm like, what's going to disturb me? I own
0: a lot of Marilyn Manson records, like, (laughs)
1: like nothing, like he's the last true rock star in a way.
0: Like Get it was it. badass when you went to like a record store and there was like the Parent Advisory sticker and am yeah. like uh oh, and you're like, but it's cool. Yeah, Mom, it was almost like
1: know. it was almost like a just like a this, this warning for parents, but it was this signal to kids that like, hey man, this record will make you cool. You know, <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's no, I can't imagine what my kid would bring home that I would be like, I don't want you listening to this. You know, like. I mean, I guess there's plenty of ways like there are things that would offend me, you know, like rampant misogyny or, you know, know, homophobia or something like racism. There's plenty of things that people could sing about that. I would be like, no, fuck this. You know, we're not having this. But I can't imagine my kid ever bringing home something that would be like that.
0: No, young lady, that is not going to happen. And it's just like, (laughs) no, that's not going to be a thing. Yeah. Uh, So when you made that, so. You're you're listening to all these things and like these ideas and you're like, okay. And I love the the talk about like viewing the guitar is not like a shredding thing. But yeah. like, you know, I always love this cool story that Mike Durant from Green Day said, like Billy Joe made the conscious decision to not think about being a technical player, but like, I'm just going to focus on songwriting. Yeah. And that was, he was like, that was the best move he could have made. Because then he yeah. ended up writing great songs. So. When you started to delve into that process, that was this just kind of like, did you have a vehicle for these songs? Or were they just kind of like you being like, I've got these songs? What do I do?
1: Yeah. I mean, I like I gave up um I gave up on shredding pretty quick because I realized that wasn't how you made a song. And like that's and so it became really quickly, I was like, I need to learn chords, you know, I because chords are gonna be the foundation that this is all built on. Right. Yeah. And so I actually, you know, I I know a lot of chords, (laughs) like I learned all all my jazz chords and shit, you know? Yeah. Uh, which I, nowadays I rarely use. It's like three chords in the truth, you know, like it always minor
0: flat five. Come on, dude, you're not pulling (laughs) that into your song.
1: Yeah. I actually, uh, we, we produced, we did a song one time, uh, with Andy from Manchester orchestra. And, and, uh, you know, we were, we were talking about them maybe producing a record and it didn't end up working out with the schedules and whatnot, but like we were hanging out in Atlanta one time with them and doing this, this song and, and it had all these like seventh chords in it, you know? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And Andy was just like, no, no, just get rid of that. Let's do the open E, you know? (laughs) And we were just like, well, don't you think this is kind of like cool and Beatlesy, you know? And he was like, "No, nah, fuck the Beatles." And we're like, "Oh, okay, fuck the Beatles." <laughs> <laughs> like, he wasn't wrong though for that yeah. for, for that moment, you know. Like, and honestly, part of the reason we wanted to work with them is because we've always liked the way their guitars sound. And we were having an, we never really felt like our guitars on our record sounded like our guitars in the room. And so we kind of thought like, well, these guys will know the deal. And I did learn a lot uh, just from that real brief experience with with uh, him and Raj about, uh, you know, recording guitars and, and how to perform the guitars so that they show up on the record the way you want them to.
0: What's that big takeaway? I'm curious. Like, what, what was your, like, your kind of the shift?
1: Just play the power chord, man. <laughs> just play the power chord, play the top two strings of your guitar and everything else doesn't really matter. Like... It's just that's the most powerful way to play it, you know, <laughs> and, yeah. and and then there was some stuff about, you know, how to mic your amp that we found really important. But yeah, it was one of those things where I was like, <clears throat> I went into that experience going like, man, my guitar is never, I feel like in the room, our, my guitars sound, you know, big and badass. I was like, what guitar do you use? And he's like, oh, just this same Telecaster that that I use. And it's like, okay, well, what amp are you using? And it's the same amp. <laughs> like <laughs> we're using all this same stuff and like, why do your guitars sound amazing and mine don't, you know?
0: Were you going for more like where the, these more complex chords where it was just like, you're getting all these high strings too. And it's just like, they're almost like disappearing and you're like, where's the, the bulk or the body of yeah. that guitar?
1: Yes. Well, I think that we kind of had this, this idea that we needed it to fill the entire spectrum, the, the entire sound spectrum. Like, so we need to have a track where it's like the low, kind of sounding guitars and then we need to have some other guitar doing some real high stuff the whole time to kind of really fill it out and now i don't think that's true because what i really want to hear is those low guitars mostly like i don't to me i don't find a whole lot of just like shimmery stuff like constantly happening in the high end to be that interesting i feel like it kind of takes away from what i usually want which is kind of something that's a little more ballsy and you know this is all subjective to like whatever the song is, you know, right. But, Mm -hmm. but generally the problem that we always had is we never felt like we had enough balls in the guitars. And so now I've kind of hit that, that idea that like, just record the sounds you want to be actually to be there, you know, like, well, what I want is, you know, the big low guitars, you know, so that's what we should really focus on making.
0: But that's like, like, at the end the listener isn't going to be like man where is the double layer that high shimmery part <laughs> i really would have loved the song more the lyric speaks yeah. to me the melody speaks to me it's great but man come on guys alternate voicings up high i want yeah. to hear something. <laughs> they're not going to but that's interesting yeah. because it's almost like saying like hey take it back to the basics and not yeah. necessarily over like complicate the thing
1: Well, yeah. And that's kind of always like we were saying earlier, like, like I feel like I had this thing that stemmed from this insecurity about my songs. Uh, whereas as I get older and maybe more confident, uh, I'm just kind of like, man, it doesn't need to be that complicated. Like when you go back and listen to the records that really meant the most to you and you actually sit down like with an ear for production and you look, listen to what they've done. Like one of the more interesting exercises for me has been to sit there and go like, what is really happening here? And realizing it's not that many things (laughs) like, like, okay, there's drums. Okay. There's the bass. Okay. And there's one guitar doing a one simple thing, you know, and, and, and it'll be stuff like that where you just go like, but I find this so compelling. So why do I, why do I assume that no one will find it compelling when I do something simple, you know, and getting out of that mindset that like there's a math equation that you have to fill up before you hit the quota for what's interesting is, has been a big exercise for me in production.
0: Do you feel too? It's it's more or less the combination of like good chords, meaningful words, and melody. Then that's where the production be like. You don't need to overcomplicate it. It's already good. Yeah. This is just gonna help it and it's gonna boost it.
1: Yeah, my friend Tim Palmer always says uh, the easy or the best remedy for a bad mix is a good song, and I think that that's. <laughs> that's kind of universal right across all levels of production. Like when you think about like uh, there are plenty of artists out there that you would not even say, even from a performance standpoint, like maybe not even a good performance, let alone a good recording or a good production value or whatever. It, the performance might even be bad. Like Neil Young is not necessarily a great singer, but the songs are what are important. You know, it doesn't yeah. matter that he, he doesn't have to sing like Rufus Wainwright, you know, a perfect little angel that he is for it to be good. It's good because the song said something meaningful. Like the melody was still cool. You know, the chords were still interesting and it doesn't really matter how good or bad you played them at the end of the day. There was still a good song.
0: Mm. So mm. I don't know. What? Yeah, no, no, no. That, that totally makes sense. Um, lyrically as you've kind of moved did you find that your your upbringing that kind of like that more christian-centered upbringing influenced lyrics but as you moved on it was like trying to shed off as you kind of grew essentially and just kind of like moved out did you kind of shed those away or do you find that they occasionally creep in
1: yeah that's a that's a good question um i mean we may when we you and i met you know we were out Mm -hmm. pushing uh our record we are all where we belong which is a big concept record about going from being a person of faith to being a atheist, you know, essentially, and kind of what that means for you as a, as an individual and us as a culture and all these things. Right. Yeah. And so obviously that was a really important uh, change for me. And I made that record with this idea that like, okay, this is a big thing in my life but I'm going to write 15 songs about it. I'm going to say everything I want to say about it and then I'm going to move on and I don't have to talk about it anymore which was obviously yeah. not true because then I had to talk about it endlessly for like years and press <laughs> and it's been our biggest record and and I still get emails from people like about that record being important to them which is great, you know, it's awesome uh, but it's just funny how naive I was about my expectations <laughs> and uh, but yeah, th- I think growing up in that in that world and also just you know i still live in texas and even though i live in austin my parents still live in east texas you know i was actually my girlfriend and i just actually went there this weekend and to some really rural parts of it and that's still that very bible belty culture is still very much a part of my environment and yeah and my my culture here so Yeah, I definitely, I always enjoyed the imagery that religion kind of provides and with everything that's going on in the world right now and how terrible (laughs) it all is (laughs) and how, you know, when you, when you are raised to, uh, believe in Christ and honor Christ and worship Christ, and then you see all these people out there evoking Christ who don't know a goddamn thing about the man and clearly resent everything that he represents, you know, then it's, it's hard to separate yourself from that imagery even further, you know?
0: Yeah. It's, I feel like, you know, what you described, you know, definitely that coming to, you know, people saying like that record mattered to them, you know, it spoke to them. Uh, Maybe that's what drew me in when I was listening to you guys, I think, because I was kind of in that place, that that middle ground of like that yep. ground where, well, we had like, conversations
1: want, about it early on didn't we yeah like, I, because i
0: i i was at, still working at a church but i was right. at that verge of like being like i don't think i believe this yeah and just like you know still up there on a sunday being like yep yep and that's where i was getting into things <laughs> yeah. like dave bazan and being like you know uh, hard to be i was like ah oh, i'd love to sing this on a sunday
1: yeah i love and you know record. like
0: i i was ta- ali moss we were uh, we were talking and she was like we just gushed over Dave bazan because she was like that. I've seen him more than any other performer, and he's same,
1: just, same for he's me. He's just like,
0: I, 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 I. Hopefully, this says enough mm-hmm. that I can get Dave to one day just sit down and talk. But yeah. it, to me, like when you watch him, it's that period, that thing that you're talking about that's so relatable. Yeah, that it kind of speaks to where you are. And do you feel songwriting can be like that? Sometimes you're writing to a perspective that you know that you know some people are going to totally connect with. Others may just be like yeah
1: yeah, that record that dave made uh curse your branches yeah that came out as we were kind of nearing completion on we are all where we belong oh. and uh there were lyrics on his record that were so close to things that i had written that i had to change mine and wow. <laughs> you know because it was just like and i'm not mad about that at all because like there just weren't that many records talking about what those records are talking about. Like, and I love that record. I love Dave's entire catalog. You know, he is, he's one of my all time favorite songwriters. Uh, they just released that new low Tom single. I can't stop listening to it. Yeah. He's, he's just amazing. And, and it's just that, like, he is just so unabashedly not full of shit. There's no line between what you see and what you get with him. I think. Yeah. And that's what people find so compelling. And it's definitely something that I I, I strive to, to be as a songwriter, too. And and what you're saying about, you know, I think that's kind of the point of all art, right? Is to exp- you express what you're going through. And that's cathartic to you. But the real power is in when other people hear it. And all of a sudden, you all know, like, I'm not alone. Like, the world is big enough to include me and that is just the real beauty of the thing right it's like that's the whole great thing about being you know a a a lonely kid in east texas when you hear punk rock for the first time and you go oh wait there's a place for me somewhere like like uh there's other there's other people out there i just kind of have to find them and there's a tribe that i can belong to you know like My choices aren't limited to being some version of a hillbilly, you know, like, (laughs) like that's, there's something that's very, very important about that to me.
0: And it's interesting because it may relate to someone at the moment, but the people that shrug it off, maybe in the beginning, it may speak to them at a different point where they remember and they are like, oh, that actually means more to me now.
1: Yeah. Um, I remember when when that, when that Kershi Branches record came out, uh, Mm -hmm. there's another, a friend of mine here in town named Jason Poe and I love, I love Jason Poe. He's one of the sweetest dudes in the world and he's actually, he doesn't really do music much anymore, but he is in himself, like in his own right, like an amazing songwriter. He had a band called, uh, Jets Under Fire. Um, I'm not sure if their stuff is on Spotify or not, but, uh, but yeah, he has this, great voice and is an amazing songwriter but he's he's still a believer or at least he was i've talked to him a little bit but he was last time i checked and uh but i remember when curse your branches came out and he's also a Bazan fan and and he it was the song what's the last song on that record he's like the the crew have killed the captain but they still can hear his voice that song he was like that song is so sad and i just remember feeling like i didn't really think it was sad i kind of thought there was like some like freedom in that, you know, and it's just one of those yeah. things where it's like, well, we were just hitting that same art with different perspectives and we had totally different reactions to it. And that's it's in beautiful because both in of stitches. our reactions, that's yeah, what it's called. In stitch, yes. Thank you. Yeah. But it's like both of our experiences with that piece of art are equally valid. Right. Like, and that's, mm-hmm. that's the beauty of it. Like I've always kind of had this kill the songwriter approach to it. Like where it's like what I intended with the song is kind of irrelevant to you because it's really all about yeah. what you got out of it which is very much informed by what you brought into it. Ooh. And art can just be that thing that becomes what you need it to be. That being said, I don't write with a lot of metaphor and stuff. It's always pretty fucking clear what I mean, you know. <laughs> but uh
0: But sometimes that's more refreshing <laughs> because yeah. I remember one um She's a really great person and mentor, Judy Stakey. When I'm always bringing a song, she's like, Get rid of the, me-. like, you know, just like the, me- yeah. um, where it's just like the water. And she was like, No, 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 <laughs> like, just don't, just get rid of it yeah. and just say what you're trying to say. Do not try to mask it. In this, because I don't know, maybe sometimes that's what we think it needs to be. Just yeah. like almost relating back to the chords, the chord. Oh, it needs to be this layered, textured. You know, if yeah. I throw in the seventh note, and it's like, no, play the power chord is the yeah. equivalent of just like yeah. <laughs> what you want to say.
1: Yeah, yeah. Don't use don't use twelve words when four will do. You know, ah. like I always I always want my lyrics. I don't know how you feel about this. Uh, but like I always want my lyrics to read like a paragraph of conversation. Like, I don't, I don't like the idea of having like one line, then one line, then one line, you know, they're all kind of topical, but disjointed.
0: Like,
1: I kind of want them to be grammatically correct sentences.
0: (laughs) And, uh, she she will do that too, where she'll be like, I want you to just read it out. Just don't say anything, just read it. And then when you do, and I'm like. That makes no sense. And she was like, exactly. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> and, it's like, and it's like, oh, thanks, Judy. Yeah. But it's true. I get yeah. it. Because it should, as you're saying, it should be like a conversation. Like, it should make sense if you read it. If it doesn't, you need yeah. to go back. and I, you I know. think
1: I think it's something that Vonnegut said was that any piece of art is one half of a conversation. And you know, I just always kind of took that to heart. And I really want all my lyrics to, to feel like they're conversational in some way.
0: So at at this point, are you doing a lot of demoing? Are you preparing to do like, do you want to do another EP? Are you guys, especially right now? Yeah, we're doing a look like. Yeah,
1: I'm doing a lot of demoing Um, since the pandemic. I've I've got about 26 songs kind of done. Wow. And uh, some are I have have like three or four that are kind of like I'm just I'm finishing up lyrics and then I just have to record the lyrics and then they're done. But yeah, it's been real productive for me. I've been, uh, thankfully, I've been able to keep my day job and, and I'm working at home and it sucks that I can't be in the room with my buddies, you know, shaping them. But the idea is that once this is over and or safer or whatever the case may be, that we are going to do another full length. We're not going to do another EP. Uh, all of our last like four or five releases have all been EPs. And I think we kind of decided we wanted to make another big statement you know, with our next yeah. thing and, and, uh, actually get in there and, and, and do something a little bit more, uh, ambitious.
0: I love it. Well, dude, thank you for spending time and just talking to us. I really appreciate it. I oh, love, man. like, this is the first, I love the fact that this is like maybe the first real, like full on, like actually half hour conversation <laughs> we've actually had ever. Yeah. It yeah, wasn't true, over man. social media and, it, and I love it.
1: Yeah, it's funny, man, because, like, you're right, but I feel like I know you. Likewise. (laughs) And, like, uh, you did a song with a friend of mine not too long ago, and uh, I remember she was asking, like, hey, do you know this Mike Myers guy? And I was like, yeah, he's a great guy. But I'm like, I don't really know, (laughs) you know? Like, he seems great. You know, and <laughs> I was like, he, I, I, was, I was like, yeah, on tour, man, he really helped us one time because we lost our symbols and he got them back to us. You know, like, he's a great guy, you know, but you could be like a serial killer for all I know. I mean, that, but
0: <laughs> Michael uh, Myers, I mean, I heard it all throughout first grade I, and <laughs> second grade from people. And just, I didn't even I, make that connection. I was so confused as a little kid, just being like, why are they saying my name? Mom, they said it again. And my parents being like, <laughs> we named you after an archangel i apologize we should have not gone you like yeah. and, and so there you go but <laughs> dude let's do it again thank you so much for for being sure here man and talking songwriting guitar
1: thank you so much man for having me i appreciate it
0: So this is episode 13, especially with someone like Taylor. I've known him since like 2014. This is only the second time I've had a chance to talk with him where I heard his voice. All the other times it's been Instagram and Twitter. And I think that's just funny because that's how it's like being in a band because you meet these people on the road and you stay in contact. Almost like it's a, it's a good friendship. It's a great friendship, but you don't get to talk to them in person that much. So... The fact that I've had a chance to do this was awesome and go check out quiet company. Still one of my favorite bands. Okay. So we're 13 episodes in. Are you enjoying these? If you are, have you written a review on Apple Podcasts and given us a five-star rating? If you haven't, are you waiting for me to give a tearful plea saying, please? Will you write us a review? Give us a rating because when you do, that helps us out, gets us more exposure and makes people aware of this amazing podcast. Because here I am. Please, go ahead. Write that awesome five-star review. Share your favorite episode on social media. I truly do appreciate everything that you can do to spread the word about this podcast. And that does it for this week's episode. It was edited and produced by Chris Fafalius. I'm Mike Myers. Until next time.